a couple of things before we jump into worship and um, praise this morning. There's a few opportunity for volunteering in the church. Um, we give you some people who do uh, be ushers and greeters, um, and also to help head up um, women's ministry, and also to host some um, Facebook ex- Facebook Live activities as we stream this service, and people just kind of host that. So if you're interested in any of those opportunities to serve, we would love to kind of help you get connected to do that. Um, yeah, so just go ahead and contact the church office. We would yeah, love to help you get started there. Also, um, this Sunday is... Ruth Schutz is the last Sunday with us. Uh, she'll be moving. And so if you get a chance to talk to her this morning, um, and just kinda, yeah, wish her well. Um, and so with that, we'll enter into this time where we can <clears throat> uh, sing praises to our God. Would you stand as we sing together?
Good morning. Please be seated. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am Pastor Ian. I'm the youth and family pastor here. And thank you so much for uh, joining us in person here, outside, or online. Uh, we're super excited for you to be here. Um, this is the normal time that we would have uh, offering. So do you guys remember like eight months ago when we used to pass an offering plate? It seems like a long time ago. But um, thank you so much for all of you who have been faithfully giving. If you still want to give, there will be offering plates in the back that you can give. Also um, online at tlefc.org or uh, send a check-in or text. If you want more info, please contact the church office. Um, if you would bow with me in prayer. Dear Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time and opportunity that we have to gather together and worship you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your amazing, amazing grace when you sent your son to die on a cross for us and didn't, didn't require anything of us except to believe in him, Lord. We thank you for your assurance that you are with us in these, in these times that are confusing and, and frustrating and where we don't understand exactly what's going on. We know that you are the king and you are in control and you are sovereign and we praise you for that, Lord. We pray for um, people in our congregation who are sick, who are having a hard time. We think of Dave Whittingham this morning. Um, we think of... Um, others who have who have finally gotten home but are still having a hard time with stuff, Lord, we ask that you would bless them. Make your presence obvious in their situation, Lord. We pray for this church. We pray your protection on it and your strength on it, Lord. We pray your blessing and just help us this day to worship you well. Help us to understand that you are here with us. And that you are mighty and, and powerful in this place, Lord. Help us to worship you well, Lord. We love you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wanted to quick take a minute um, and talk about worship. Um, when I was in high school, which was a while ago, um, I, did, I remember doing a, a Bible study on what worship is, and I think we went through a book by Louis Giglio, um, and I love his definition he has for worship. He says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So it's, you know, worship is so much more, it's, it's how we live our lives. It's more than singing. It's more than reading a verse. It's more than you know, maybe all the things that we think of when we think of worship. Um, so I just wanted to encourage you. And that, does, you know, that doesn't mean that having times of worshiping and singing and worshiping by reading his word aren't powerful. Um, but I just wanted to encourage you um, that it's really, it's more of our attitude towards him. Um, so I just wanted to, to talk about that, and that really resonates with the song that we're about to sing. So if you would stand with us as we sing. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies.
Father, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus, that his wounds, his death on the cross, and paid our ransom. Praise you, Lord. You've done that for us. You have provided a way for us to be saved. You've shown us your love for us in that way. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll be continuing our series in 1 John this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. We'll read the passage in a few minutes. But before we, before we get there, Robert Fulgham, he's an author, he's best known for a book called All That I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, which I think is a great title and Selling, high, well-selling book, but he also wrote many other books. One of them was called True Love. And in the book True Love, he says this. He writes, We're all a little weird, and life is a little weird. And when we find someone whose weirdness is compatible with ours, we join up with them and fall into mutually satisfying weirdness and call it love. True love. So that quote is one of the more entertaining answers that I know of to the question of what is love? To fall into mutually satisfying weirdness with someone. And so, but another interesting sort of answer to the question what is love come from kids. So a group of researchers asked different kids the same question. Like, what does love mean? And their answers ranged from pretty funny to surprisingly insightful for kids their age. The one one six-year-old said, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs back. Like a seven-year-old girl said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. A five-year-old boy said, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. And finally, an eight-year-old girl named Rebecca said this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even after his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Now those are all great answers to the question of, like, what does love mean? But as cute or as funny, or as insightful as some of those answers are, they all fall a little bit short of what love is. And the reason they fall short is because they don't allow for God anywhere in the definition. As we're going to see this morning, any understanding of love that isn't rooted in who God is falls short. What we're going to see this morning is that John twice says right, that God is love. Our passage this morning is 1 John 4. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. But I invite you to follow along with me as I read either in your own Bible or the Word will be on the screen. John writes this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we 
This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who feared is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is one of those passages where there's little doubt about what John's main point is. It's kind of sprinkled all throughout this passage. Verse 7 says, Love come from God. Verses 8 and 16 both say one of the more famous statements in the Bible, right? that God is love. And that John kind of made a point here, that God is love. And in fact, this whole section of John's letter is dominated by this theme of love. From chapter 4, verse 7, where we started reading, through chapter 5, verse 3, the word love appeared 30 times. And we think about kind of famous love passages in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 often comes to mind. It's when you hear at weddings all the time, love is patient, love is kind, etc. And while that is a beautiful passage and a great description of what love is, we do ourselves a disservice when we only think about that passage when we think about what the Bible has to say about love. Because 1 Corinthians 13 does a great job telling us what love is. But this passage of 1 John right, it shows us who love is. And that is to say, this passage shows us who the source of all love is. And then how that source, God, has perfectly chosen to display his love to us. But I've kind of gotten into the rhythm here and have been preparing sermons. Like One of the tendencies I've found in myself is the desire to, like, have you learned something new or to see something new in the passage that you've never seen before or to like, see something from a new angle. And like, insofar as the things I'm showing you are true, like, then that's good. But like, if I'm being honest, part of my motivation in some of those things is to like, a desire to like, for you to be impressed. But like, I want you to think like, oh, isn't the new pastor great? Like, he helped me see things in the Bible I've never seen before. Like, that's what I want you to think sometimes when I'm writing these sermons. Like, and that's not good. But so often, growth in godliness is not about learning something new, but just about being reminded of what you already know. What you already know is true. So today, like, that's my goal. I hope it's not that you'll leave with some revolutionary new insight into who God is. You're not going to make some radical change in your life because of what you hear today. And today I just want to encourage us all to dwell on the fact that God is love. It's all that's going on in the world. It's all the anger and animosity and confusion and fear and bitterness. I want to take the next 20 minutes or so, and remember, soak in the fact that God is love, and therefore God loves each of us. Like, I don't know like, what feelings are stirring inside you these days, what emotions are going on in there, right? but like, between COVID and like, racial equality, protests, and rioting, like, it's impossible to think about the state of the world right now and not feel something. So maybe it's fear, maybe it's anger, maybe it's despair, maybe it's confusion. Like, I don't know what emotions are at work inside of you this morning. But one thing I do know, that God loves you because God is love. So my hope this morning is that as we leave here in a little bit, like that truth that God is love and he loves you would be reigning and ruling over any other emotion that's stirring inside of you.
one of my favorite things about this passage is that John gets at the statement that God is love, and then he shows us how all three members of the Trinity, right, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, are all actively involved in being the God of love. The God who loves us, the God who is love, is not some distant, far-off, nebulous God. He is the personal and active God of the universe. The God who took on flesh and entered into humanity in Jesus and is still present with us now in the Holy Spirit. So for the rest of our time together, my plan is to walk through this passage and to look and to see how each person of God is active in being a God of love. Now, this notion of the Trinity, that there is one God who exists in three persons, is one of the the hardest things in the Bible for us to wrap our minds around. And in fact, I would argue like, it's one of those things in the Bible that we just can't fully comprehend. It's a truth about God that is beyond our human capacities. So if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you're I don't know, new to Christianity, you're just kind of checking out what Christianity teaches, but you're not really familiar with the Trinity, you're confused by this notion that God is three persons and one God, like, just know that you're in good company. Like the Trinity is confusing. Like no one has it figured out. And so we're not this morning going to try to dive deep into the Trinity. Like I'm not going to try to answer and explain in detail, like or answer all the questions about how the Trinity works. But there is one thing that must be noted about the Trinity before we look at each member individually. That is this: God existing in three persons, is essential to the statement, God is love being true. To say that God is love is to say that love is essential to the very nature of God. If He is not actively loving, then He is not God. But if that's the case, we need to ask the question, how can an eternal God who has existed from eternity past before anything else existed how can he be love before there was an object of his love that he had already created? The answer to that question is found in the Trinity. The three persons of the Trinity have always existed in perfect, loving unity. The Father has been loving the Son and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. The Son has been loving the Father and the Holy Spirit since before the creation of the world. The Holy Spirit has been loving the Father and the Son for millions and billions and trillions of years before there was any creation. God did not start loving when He created mankind and finally had some object of His love. He has existed in perfect, loving relationship with Himself since before time began. So with that in mind, let's consider what role each member of the Trinity plays in displaying to us the fact that God is love. And we'll start by considering how God the Father shows us that God is love. In this passage, we see that God is love through the Father because the Father sends. Verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And verse 14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. I don't know if it's true of you as well, but often when I read or hear verses like these, my attention often jumps to the fact that the Son came to be the Savior of the world. My attention jumps to Jesus. And in some ways, that's good and right. But on the other hand, like I often focus on Jesus so fast that I forget to properly acknowledge and thank the Father. Then we'll get to all that Jesus accomplished through his life and death and resurrection in a minute. But before we do that, like we should remember what Jesus himself said in John 6:38. He said, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. 
Like all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, like our salvation only happened because the Father willed it to happen and sent His Son to suffer and die in our place. So can we just like sit in that for a minute? Like a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how like I would gladly and freely choose to die for any of my kids because I love them so much. But not be a hard choice. But like precisely because I love them so much, I cannot comprehend loving someone else enough to send one of my kids to die for them. That kind of love is unfathomable to me. But that's how much God the Father loves you and me. The Father sent His only Son to die. Us. And not just to die, but to suffer unimaginable physical pain through death on the cross. Like the cross was designed to inflict the most pain possible. The Father sent his only beloved Son, to suffer that. But it goes even deeper than that. The Father didn't just send His Son to die and to suffer physical pain. The Father sent His Son to bear our sins. John tells us that God sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. Which means that God sent Jesus to be a sacrifice that bears God's wrath against sin and turned it into favor. Our sins, our wrongdoings, all deserve punishment. God cannot be righteous if He just looked the other way and looked past our sins and didn't punish them. But on the cross, like every sin that's ever been committed or will ever be committed by a Christian was placed on Jesus. And as a result, at the perfect, loving relationship between the Father and the Son that had existed for all eternity was broken. We just sang the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Like, the lyric in there is, like, Behold the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away. Right? The Father turned His face away from Jesus because the sins of the world were on Jesus and God couldn't bear to look at sin. That perfect relationship that had existed for all time was broken. And Jesus became the object of the Father's wrath. The Father sent His Son whom He loved, knowing that the Son would become the object of His wrath against sin. The Father poured out His infinite wrath and judgment on His own beloved Son. Not because He had to, but because that's how much He loves you. Like He loves you enough Send his own son to die in your place. The question is, do you believe that? Not in a head knowledge, I know that right answer sort of way, but do you feel it in your soul that the sovereign king of the universe, the God who spoke the universe into existence, loves you that much? Do you live in that knowledge? Do you, do you live in the knowledge that God loves you that much? Or do you live like you always have to do something more to impress Him or make Him happy to deserve His love? Because that's an exhausting and a fruitless mindset that I think you always have to do more to make Him happy. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. He's already given you the ultimate expression of His love in sending Jesus. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, The Gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. The Father sending His beloved Son makes that clear. I hope and I pray that you feel the love the Father has for you this morning. 
actually experience the reality that God is love because the Father sins. But we also experience the reality that God is love because the Son saves. The Father sending the Son would have all been for naught if Jesus, God's Son, hadn't come, hadn't done what what's required to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 10 says, This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Father sent the Son, but the Son still needed to choose to be obedient to the Father. He still needed to choose to resist every temptation that we so often fail to resist. He still needed to submit himself to the agony and pain of the cross. In Matthew 27:42, the crowds are mocking Jesus. They say this. They say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we will believe him. And of course, the great irony of those words that he could have done it could have saved himself. One chapter earlier, as Jesus was being arrested, some of his followers wanted to fight, try to fight those who were coming to arrest Jesus. But Jesus said this, Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then will the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? The Father, Jesus could have saved himself from the agonies of the cross. He could have called down legions of angels, but he chose not to because he loved you. Because he desired to provide a way for you to be saved from your sins. He endured all the mocking He endured all the agonies of the cross. He endured the Father's wrath being poured out on Him. He endured the unimaginable pain of His perfect, loving relationship with God being broken because He loved you. So again, ask the question, do you feel that love in the depths of your being? Do you believe that you are so precious so valuable that the God of the universe would freely choose to die for you. I know all this talk about love risks starting to sound sappy, sentimental, and like for some of you, like that can be be a turnoff. But like when we talk about the love that God has for us, we aren't talking about some happy, sentimental love. When we say that God is love and that God loves us, what we mean is that God thinks so highly of us. That God thinks you are so valuable. God cares so much about you that He is willing to suffer and die for you. No matter how you feel about sentimental, emotional love, that's a message we all need to hear and be reminded of. That the God of the universe considered you valuable enough to die for. So we see the fact that God is loved through the Father sending, through the Son saving, and finally we see the fact that God is loved through the Spirit sanctifying. It would have been far more loving than we deserve if the Father had sent the Son the Son had died on the cross for our sins. And then after we believed, they just left us to figure out the rest of it on our own. That still had been far more loving than we deserved. That would have made for an unpleasant life for us. After we placed our trust in Jesus, we are left to hopelessly struggle to obey and follow Him in our own power. It would have been a life of futile striving. But thankfully, the Father who sent the Son has also given us His Spirit. Verse 13 says, This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. 
when he gives us his spirit, right, the spirit transforms us and enables us to live the life that God has called us to live. Just, just think for a moment, minute like about the disciples after they had believed in Jesus, but before they had received the Holy Spirit. Right? There's Peter, who believes in Jesus so deeply that right before he's arrested, like, Peter insists to Jesus' face, like, no matter what, Jesus, I will not deny you. Like, no matter what, I am with you even to death. And Jesus looks at him and says, like, that cute, Peter? That's a nice sentiment. But you're going to deny me three times. Just to make sure you remember that I told you this, after the third time, like, a rooster's going to crow. Sure enough, like, that's exactly what happens. Like, Peter starts denying Jesus, not even to like some big mighty soldier, but to a little girl around a fire. Like, he can't own the fact that he knows Jesus. Or consider Thomas, one of the apostles. He had heard Jesus prophesy time and again that he had to go and die and then he would rise from the dead. Thomas had heard Jesus say that he had followed Jesus. But after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the apostles, but for some reason Thomas is off doing something. He's not there. And so the resurrected Jesus appears to the other apostles, then he leaves. And then a while later, like Thomas comes back. And all ten of the other apostles are like, Thomas, like you're never gonna believe this. Like, but like all those things Jesus said about rising from the dead, like they're true. Like, he was here. Jesus is alive. All ten of these men who Jesus, Thomas had been with, following Jesus day after day for three years. All of them were at one accord, agreeing together. This is what happened. Like they're all telling Thomas the same story. Jesus himself had prophesied it. And how does Thomas respond? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. These were men who have believed Jesus, who have trusted Jesus, who have followed Jesus. Like, but once they aren't with Jesus, like they become incompetent until the Holy Spirit shows up. And then the Holy Spirit turns denying Peter and doubting Thomas into men who will so loudly proclaim that Jesus is alive, that they will both, along with the other, many of the other apostles, like, be killed for their faith. The Holy Spirit living in them transformed them and empowered them to live the lives that they were obedient, that were obedient to God, even to the point of death. And it is the same thing for each one of us who believe in Jesus. Verse 17 of our passage says, This is how love is made complete among us, that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. The God who loved us enough to send His beloved Son. The God who loved you enough to die for you. That God loves you so much that He comes and He lives in you in order to transform you more and more into the image of Jesus. He loved us so much that He didn't leave us to fight our sin on our own. Because that He loves us so much that when we trust in Jesus, that He comes and He lives in us. He enables us to do the things that He has called us to do. So like, I don't know, again, like, what area of sin you might be fighting in your own life right now. But God is living in you if you are a believer in Jesus. He wants to help you fight and overcome that sin. No matter how bad, no matter how long-lasting, no matter how dark, no matter how secret that sin is, it's already known by God. And He has still freely and gladly chosen to live in you because He loves you so much 
And He wants to help you be free of that sin and to become more like Jesus. Because God loves you, like He does not leave you on your own to struggle with sin until you die and then you finally get to go to heaven. Instead, God, in the Holy Spirit, comes and lives in you. And even in this life, as 1 Corinthians puts it, like He transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. What a gift of love it is that God did not leave us to fight sin on our own, but came to sanctify us. My, my hope this morning that, that said you just feel the love that God has for you. That the Father loves you so much that He sends His Son to die for you. The Son loves you so much that He freely submits Himself to that death. That the Holy Spirit loves you so much that He comes and lives in you and sanctifies you and transforms you. But as we conclude our time, we should also note how this passage begins and ends. Verse 7, the very first words of this passage say, Dear friends, let us love one another. The very last words of the passage in verse 21 say this, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When we grasp God's love for us, we cannot help but love others. So as I've said, my hope is that you leave here this morning with the truth that God is love, like ruling over any other emotions that are stirring in your heart today. But I also hope and pray that the reality of God's love motivates you to love others well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. Even though we can be prone, I can be prone to crying, driving, do things to make you Love me more. Thank you for the reminder from your word that there is nothing we can do to make you love us more because you already loved us in the most powerful way possible. Dying for our sins that we could be reconciled to you, that we could live forever with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you that you love us. Help us to remember that truth and to let that truth guide our actions towards others. Go about our week. Help us to love our families well. Help us to love our friends well. Help us to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ well. Help us to love the world well. In light of the fact that you love us so much. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to leave, hear the word of Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Go in the love and peace of God. Here is this.
This is amazing. 